Welcome to episode 98 of the Truth Quest podcast, The Truth About Abraham Lincoln, Part 1. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as socialism in America, lessons learned from the coronavirus, price gouging, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, or secession comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean.com, and ThinkSpot. The video version of the podcast are available on YouTube, BitChute.com, and Brighteon.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook and Twitter advertising. Please see the episode show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. Finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. One of the reasons I started producing TruthQuest podcast episodes is because I was tired of finding out that much of what I learned in school, heard on the news, or what passed for common knowledge was simply wrong. You can blame it on fake news if you want, but I began to notice this phenomenon long before Trump popularized that phrase. I certainly believe that people have their biases and beliefs, and if they're in a position of power like a teacher, a professor, a commentator, a columnist, a politician, or a famous actor or athlete, their words carry more weight than your average next-door neighbor. But if I was being honest with you, I would place the blame squarely at your feet. I mean that in a collective sense. I place the blame of allowing skewed, blurred, fake history or fake news to survive at our collective feet. Intellectual honesty and the quest for truth no longer seem to be active attributes of the average person. Too many distractions, I guess. Bread and circuses, as the Romans said. Consider the last few presidents. What is the so-called conventional wisdom about Reagan or Clinton or G.W. Bush or Obama? Well, we have the stupid cowboy actor who never had an original thought. We have the guy, despite being a sexual predator his entire adult life, was given a pass by his side of the aisle and the media because it was just personal behavior. Then we have the idiot son of a former president, born with a silver spoon in his mouth that lied us into war. And then we have the second coming of Christ, who did no wrong. But what is the truth? Is it true what Jack Nicholson's character, Colonel Jessup in the movie A Few Good Men, yelled in that famous scene with Tom Cruise? You can't handle the truth! Was he talking to you and me? The truth is always somewhere in the middle. Haven't you found that to be true? In the person of Abe Lincoln, we have one of the most glaring examples of this skewed or blurred historical record. I started learning about some of this less, shall we say, complimentary aspects of his career several years ago. I kept a Word document where I captured my notes and from what I learned. After reading Tom DiLorenzo's book, The Real Lincoln, the evidence became overwhelming and I had to gather my thoughts and publish this episode, which turned into two episodes. We have been misled. No, no, scratch that. We have been fed a big, steaming pile of lies and propaganda our entire lives when it comes to Abraham Lincoln. When you find out the truth about Lincoln, you will be flabbergasted, as I was. It's quite remarkable. As I walk through this episode, I want you to try to think of your favorite modern president pulling half of the shit that Lincoln did, and then try to justify it. So when you think of Lincoln, what do you think? Honest Abe, Great Orator, the Gettysburg Address, the $5 Bill, Mount Rushmore, 
He saved America. His assassination by John Wilkes Booth. His Zooth-like monument in Washington, D.C. Hell, he always ranks at or near the top of every list of the greatest presidents. Honestly, when you look at it from an unbiased perspective, there is a type of worship of Lincoln. Some historians call it the righteous cause mythology that follows him to this very day. I gotta tell you, after doing the research for this episode, I found myself really angry. I'm really angry and disappointed that after going through, what, almost 20 years of schooling over my lifetime, never once in elementary, middle, or high school, never once in a college history class, did I ever hear a jaded word about Abraham Lincoln, when the man can literally be considered a monster. Makes you wonder what else they haven't taught us. Let's begin the episode by going right at the heart of the Lincoln myth, slavery, saving the Union, and the Emancipation Proclamation. Then we will go into some of the more obscure, less considered aspects of Lincoln's historical record. So we've all been told since the second grade that Lincoln saved America. He saved the Union. We'll come to find out that ain't exactly truthful. What he really did was recreate America. We'll get into the specifics as the episodes unfold. And let's be clear, he did not invade the South in order to end slavery. I repeat, he did not invade the South in order to end slavery. I guarantee if I ask 100 people why the Civil War was fought, 90 plus would say something about slavery. This assertion, this assumption is one of the biggest con jobs in American history. The real reason Lincoln invaded the South was to preserve the Union. In other words, to prevent the southern states from leaving the Union or seceding. Don't believe me? Let's let Honest Abe speak for himself. In a letter to New York Tribune editor Horace Greeley in 1862, during the middle of the war, Lincoln wrote, quote, quote, My paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union, and is not to either save or destroy slavery. If I can save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I can save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because it helps to save the Union, end quote. If I had a flair for the dramatic, I might do a mic drop right here and end the episode. But there's way more to discuss by way of Lincoln. Let's examine Lincoln's thoughts on slavery. Did he believe that all men were created equal? Did you know that prior to 1854, Lincoln rarely spoke about slavery? He was not an abolitionist by any stretch. He did not believe that all men were created equal. He made numerous public statements stating that he was not seeking equality between the races. As a matter of fact, he supported colonization of blacks to Haiti, Africa, and South America. Did you know that he supported the Illinois Black Codes? Did you know that he supported a constitutional amendment that would have preserved slavery? Did you know that he supported the Fugitive Slave Act, which required that slaves that escaped captivity to be returned to their so-called owners? Did you know that on 14 occasions between 1854 and 1860, Lincoln stated unambiguously that the Negro race was inferior to whites? So for those of you who champion this man, for those of you who, like me just a few years ago, revered this man, how do you square his own words with what you were taught to think about him? As DiLorenzo put it, at the end of the day, Lincoln was opposed to slavery in principle, yet at the same time he tolerated it in practice. And and he was hostile toward the abolitionist movement. In 1860, Lincoln had no intention of doing anything about Southern slavery. Just read his first inaugural address, quote, 
I have no purpose, directly or indirectly, to interfere with the institution of slavery in the states where it exists. I believe I have no lawful right to do so. Side note, as you will learn shortly, this might have been the only time he claimed to care about the Constitution. Okay, back to the address. I believe I have no lawful right to do so, and I have no inclination to do so, end quote. In the same address, he promised to strengthen the fugitive slave law, despite the fact that continued lax enforcement of the law would likely have quickened the demise of slavery. If Lincoln really was anti-slavery, if he really cared about those human beings living in captivity, if he really saw them as made in God's image and in need of help, in need of freedom, he would have found a solution, a peaceful solution. Come to find out there was such a solution that dozens of other countries had employed to end slavery through the first 60 years of the 19th century, through something called compensated emancipation. This is the practice whereby the owners of the slaves are compensated for granting their freedom. But instead, Lincoln chose to fight a war, one that he thought would be over in a matter of weeks. And even when the war continued on and deaths continued to mount, he chose to continue it with the end result being over 600,000 dead, tens of thousands wounded for life, the entire economy of the South destroyed, and entire cities in the South burned to the ground. What kind of monster wages ruthless war against his own people? Stalin? Pol Pot? Hitler? Charles Taylor? Mussolini? Lincoln? By far the greatest myth about Lincoln involves the Emancipation Proclamation. When you hear those two words, what comes to mind? Let me guess. Lincoln proclaimed that all slaves were free. What a great guy. Or something like that. Well, what is the truth about the Emancipation Proclamation? The truth is, it was an act of desperation on the part of Lincoln after a series of Union battlefield defeats. Did you know that the proclamation did not free all slaves? It only applied to those in rebel territories. Not all territories, mind you, just certain territories. For example, at the time of the proclamation, federal troops occupied most of Tennessee, Virginia, and Louisiana, where millions of slaves resided. However, the proclamation specifically excluded by name Maryland, Kentucky, West Virginia, many counties in Virginia, and many parishes in Louisiana. Shit, if you really wanted to end slavery, why didn't the Union Army just roust all the slaves from their residence in the occupied territories and declare them free? Suffice it to say, Lincoln had his reasons. Could it be that he didn't give a shit about the slaves? Could it be that he maintained the view that your average northerner at the time, who were just as, if not more, racist than the dastardly slave owners in the South? The Emancipation Proclamation was roundly rejected and ridiculed as a political gimmick because of its carefully crafted exclusions. Why is this historical fact not taught in schools? There is plenty of contemporaneous evidence to support this conclusion, including speeches by politicians and dozens of newspaper articles. That is, before Lincoln, the dictator, had publishers arrested and or deported, shut down, or had federal troops destroy their printing equipment. More on that in the next episode. Many people thought the Emancipation Proclamation was issued in order to instigate a rebellion by the slave population on the plantations in the South. See, the thought being that with the men off fighting the war, the slaves could easily overwhelm the women, children, and the older folks who were left running the plantations. As I mentioned earlier, Lincoln did not save America. He recreated it in the image of Alexander Hamilton. 
When you look at the founding generation, there were essentially two camps, the Jeffersonian and the Hamiltonians. The former followed the Constitution, limiting federal government. Most of the powers was left to the states. The latter believed in more centralized power in D.C. It's no different than the struggle we see today where the National Democrats want every aspect of our existence dictated to us by them in D.C. Unfortunately, there is no meaningful opposition to this ideology, certainly not from the National Republicans. Thus, the power of the federal government continues to this day to grow like a tick gorging on the blood of an unlucky host. As I mentioned earlier, Lincoln saw the Constitution as an obstacle, an impediment to the implementation of his agenda. Let's get down to brass tacks, as they say. I'm not sure what that actually means now that the words came out of my mouth, but hopefully you get my drift. Anyway, we have two choices when it comes to our government. You can have a government of men or a government of rules. In the United States, the Constitution is supposed to serve as the rule book. When the rules get bent, the people get screwed. A government of men is a government of the whims of men, and men are by nature sinful, greedy, and power-hungry. As James Madison once said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. My point is, a government of rules runs regardless of who is in charge. The rule of law rules, not the people in charge. So, back to Lincoln. He made many speeches throughout his career where he denounced the Constitution's restrictive nature of standing in the way of his preferred economic system, known as the American system, which essentially meant mercantilism, favoritism, internal improvements, crony capitalism, and corporate welfare. We'll get into that in more detail in the next episode. Back to my point. When a federal politician ignores, disregards, or violates the U.S. Constitution, or a state official does the same to the state constitution, you should be very angry. Because what they are ultimately doing is disregarding you. They are slapping you in the face and saying, in essence, the rule book is for suckers. I'm above the law. Or I am the law. In the case of Lincoln's disregard of the Constitution, describing it as a slap in the face is quite an understatement. What do you mean by that? Well, in order to crack down on political opposition, on April 27, 1861, Lincoln suspended the writ of habeas corpus, and it remained for his entire term in office. So this is the common law concept embodied by the Constitution. It's basically a protection against false imprisonment. People who have been in prison have the right to be brought in front of a court or a judge to make that determination. Most recently, this term was thrown around regarding the prisoners at Guant Guantanamo Bay. DiLorenzo put it this way, quote, This allowed Lincoln to order the military to arrest and imprison virtually anyone who voiced disagreement with his war policies, and as we will see, even his domestic policies. Where was the speedy public trial by an impartial jury? Where was the informing of the alleged perpetrator of the nature and cause of the accusation? Where was the right to be confronted by witnesses against them? Where was the ability to bring witnesses in their favor and the assistance of legal counsel? In England, the suspension of habeas corpus was a right only done by the legislature. Chief Justice John Marshall authored an opinion stating that very fact. Many other judges agreed, including Marshall's successor, Roger B. Taney. But Lincoln just decreed it from on high. So let's look at some specific constitutional violations. He imprisoned thousands of war opponents without a trial. No due process, no juries, no judges. He confiscated private property. He confiscated firearms. 
He quartered soldiers and citizens home in direct violation of the Third Amendment, which states, No soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any home without the consent of the owner, nor in a time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. This was never litigated, but I think the point is clear that Lincoln didn't give two shits about citizens' property rights in the North or South when it came to forced housing of soldiers. He destroyed freedom of speech by harassing and shutting down dozens of newspapers that opposed his war efforts. He imprisoned dozens of opposition newspaper publishers. Remember, back then there were almost as many newspapers as there are bloggers and podcasters today. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but the point is there were lots of newspapers throughout the country. What about the freedom of religion? Not a cherished right by Lincoln's contemptible standards as church services were closed and priests and ministers were arrested. More on that in a minute. He suppressed public assembling. Oh, and Lincoln discovered a presidential power in the Constitution that literally doesn't exist. He made up the presidential war powers out of whole cloth. DiLorenzo put it this way, quote, He claimed that the commander-in-chief clause of the Constitution, when combined with the duty of the president to take care of the laws, be faithfully executed, gave him carte blanche to ignore any and all laws and the Constitution itself in the name of presidential war powers. Interesting note, James Madison, the father of the Constitution, did not invoke these powers during the War of 1812, nor did anyone else during the Mexican War of 1846. Who do you trust with the Constitution? One of its authors or Lincoln? The effect of all of these constitutional violations was to effectively gut both the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. So the Ninth Amendment was like a safety net clause, basically saying that people have other rights besides those listed in the Bill of Rights, and the Tenth Amendment, of course, stated that all the powers not specifically granted to the federal government landed with the states. In other words, the states have all the power. So I think we'll pick it up there in episode 99, where we will examine how Lincoln's actions impacted states' rights and federalism. In addition, we will examine Lincoln's record as commander-in-chief and expose his real agenda and his obvious penchant for wreaking havoc, death, and destruction on the South, all in the name of preserving the Union. If you're in looking for an easy-to-read reference guide to have on your desk or bookshelf that covers many of the topics tackled here on the TruthQuest podcast, grab a copy of my book, Critical Thinking, spelled with a P like Peter. The subtitle is The Lost Art of Critical Thinking and Common Sense in Politics and Public Policy. In it, I tackle dozens of public policy issues from a pragmatic and logical perspective. It's available at Amazon and anywhere books are sold. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information. And please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.